I'm Charles Olson, and this is Crash Course for the Planet, your weekly bite-sized bit of what you need to know to be a good global citizen. Today, we're talking about the Electoral College, and with voting for the 2020 primaries set to begin in Iowa in a few short weeks, there's no better time to start learning about our electoral system. In the few weeks before the 2016 election, I was sitting and listening attentively to my AP Gov teacher while he spoke about the possible outcomes of the upcoming election and how the process works. He spoke in loose details about the Electoral College, the system designed by the Founding Fathers, to pick who would serve in the highest office in the land. When I sat in my bed on election night, eagerly awaiting to watch the country decide who would lead us into the future, I never imagined that Donald Trump would win before I went to sleep that night. We've got another big state. It's an important one. Actually, it's a small state, but it's a very important one. It's the state of Iowa. Six electoral votes. Last vote of Republican for George W. Bush in 2004. It has gone to Donald Trump. heard those chimes right there. We have another state to project. It is the state of North Carolina. Big battleground state. It's going to Donald Trump. Fifteen electoral votes. Big state for Donald Trump. Donald Trump has won the state of Ohio. And CNN projects Donald Trump will carry the state of Florida. With its 29 electoral votes, Donald Trump wins Florida, a huge win. It is the state of Georgia, 16 electoral votes. They are going to go to, to Donald Trump as well. Starting out with the state of Texas, 38 electoral votes, one of the biggest prizes on the board, and Donald Trump, the projected winner in the state. Trump won with 304 electoral votes, but lost the popular vote by over 3 million votes. This was not the first case of a president being elected without winning the popular vote. So this begs the question, why, in the greatest democracy on earth, do three million voices not count for the most important election in popular politics? To answer this question, we must look at the Electoral College and the context in which the Founding Fathers designed this system. So what is the Electoral College? The Electoral College is a process, not a place. The Founding Fathers established it in the Constitution in part as a compromise between the election of the president by a vote in Congress an election of the president by a popular vote of qualified citizens. The Electoral College is a body of electors that is established by the Constitution, which forms every four years to decide who is elected to be the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States. The total number of electors is 538. This number comes from the amount of representatives from each state. Each state is assigned a number equal to its Senate seats, always two, plus its seats in the House of Representatives. So the House of Reps has 435 members and the Senate has 100 and the District of Columbia gets three de facto electors. The District of Columbia has allocated these three electors and treated like a state for the purposes of the Electoral College under the 23rd Amendment of the Constitution. For this reason, in the following discussion, the word state also refers to the District of Columbia and the word governor to the mayor of the District of Columbia. Due to the connection between House members and electors, the total number of electoral votes a state has is based on the population of said state. So, bigger states, such as New York and California, have more votes than Idaho or Wyoming. In order to win the White House, a candidate must win a majority of electoral votes, which is currently 270 votes. Each candidate running for president in your state has his or her own group of electors, commonly referred to as a slate. The slates are generally chosen by the candidate's political party in your state, but state laws vary on how the electors are selected and what their responsibilities actually are. The general election is held every four years on the Tuesday after the first Monday in November. 
Mark it on your calendars now. When you vote for a presidential candidate, you are actually voting for your candidate's preferred electors. Most states have a winner-take-all system that awards all electors to the presidential candidate who wins the state's popular vote. However, Maine and Nebraska each have a variation of proportional representation. After the general election, your governor prepares a certificate of ascertainment listing the names of all the individuals on the slates for each candidate. The certificate of ascertainment also lists the number of votes each individual received and shows which individuals were appointed as your state's electors. The meeting of the electors takes place on the first Monday after the second Wednesday in December after the general election. Not confusing at all, right? The electors meet in their respective states where they cast their votes for president and vice president on separate ballots. Your state's electors' votes are recorded on our certificate of vote, which is prepared at the meeting by the electors. Your state's certificate of vote is sent to Congress where the votes are then counted. Each state's electoral votes are counted in a joint session of Congress on the 6th of January in the year following the meeting of the electors. Members of the House and Senate meet in the House chamber to conduct the official count of electoral votes. The Vice President, as President of the Senate, presides over the count and announces the results of the vote. The President of the Senate then declares which persons, if any, have been elected President and Vice President of the United States. The president-elect takes the oath of office and is sworn in as president on January 20th in the year following the general election. The Electoral College is established in Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution. The framers of the Constitution debated heavily over just how the country would elect the head of the executive branch. Following the revolution, many of the founding fathers were wary of monarchies and strong executive powers and even feared the possibility of a despot gaining access to the presidency. Ironic, I know. On the other side of the debate, many of the founders feared the prospect of absolute democratic mob rule. Also, a fair fear. Many compromises were made during this debate, and the final electoral system was a hodgepodge of compromises that didn't quite satisfy anyone. Following the ratification of the Constitution, none of the Founding Fathers believed that they had created a perfect system. And most of them had believed that most elections would be decided not by the people or the electors, but by the democratically elected House of Representatives. But to be fair to the founders, they were embarking into uncharted territory by creating any system like this one that wasn't actually a monarchy. To say that the Electoral College is flawed might be an understatement. At the time it was created, there were no political parties, let alone the two massive parties we have today, and the founders had to include a compromise regarding slavery in order to even have the system work in the first place. Today we are dealing with these flaws and the impacts that they have on American politics, on American policy, and on the lives of all Americans. Thanks for listening to another episode of Crash Course of the Planet. This episode was written and produced by me and edited by our team here at Pot for the Planet. Again, thank you for listening. See you on Monday.